Psalm 126, verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nation, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, or the precious seed as we all learned it, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So the title of the message, and I do title my messages. I don't always give the title, but today I will because it's just where I, I believe God wants our hearts to stay in asking heaven for a remix. Heaven's remix. If you're my age or older, you'll have to Google to know what that means. If you're a millennial or younger, you know what a remix is. For those that don't know, let me give you a definition of what a remix is. It's typically in the music industry. And it is a newer version of something that was previously released, which has been altered from its original state by some adding, some removing, or slightly altering pieces of the song. But the primary characteristic of a remix is that it appropriates the core of something that has been done or released previously, and it changes certain elements to create something similar, but now discernibly also something new. Psalm 126 is an ancient cry for a spiritual remix to be released on planet Earth, primarily to Israel. He's going to take us into the core of what God has previously done in Israel. But he's not looking back in sentimentality. He's not wanting to revisit the past. He, he's not nostalgic. He wants to press into the future by remembering what God has done in the past, but asking God, to do it again. And we are in an, a season, we're in an hour right now in this church across the entire IHOP Atlanta Mission Base, Newbridge Church finished the task. And I believe it's also regional involving our brothers and sisters that are part of other local communities. We're in the midst of God doing exactly what this Psalm is gonna ask him to do, releasing a remix. Let me remind you of some things that have happened. I want you to remember with me that um, America was not always uber religious. There was actually a time where God bypassed religion and brought awakening to this continent. You think of the first great awakening in the 1730s. You think of Jonathan Edwards and Charles and John Wesley and George Whitfield, all of them flawed human beings whom God chose to use to bring a, a great awakening to the United States of America. You fast forward about 90 years, 100 years, and you've got the second great awakening with Charles Finney where people were not only getting saved, but social changes were coming because the culture was being transformed by the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the power of God hitting and spreading all out across uh, this, this nation, this republic. 
Uh, people were manifesting. A lot of folks don't, don't believe that, but when, when, when they see people manifesting in the Holy Spirit, they're shaking or screaming or crying or dancing or falling out, and they see that now, and it makes YouTube, and it's always some heresy hunter saying, this is not God. Well, I want you to know, you need to go back a long time, and you're going to find out written records with Wesley and Finney and Whitfield and, and Edwards, and you're going to find in their meetings, the people would shake and tremble and fall out in the Spirit. It's not a new phenomenon. And this awakening is what we remember. By the way, we don't remember any of the critics back then. We remember the awakening. We remember the ones that actually got hit by the power of God. You go around 1906, and you're going to find that William Seymour was used of the Lord. There at the Azusa Street Revival, where Pentecostalism was birthed, and, and new, fresh outpourings of the Holy Spirit occurred. And prior to that, the Welsh revival, beginning around 1904 and 1905, with massive shifts in the culture that were happening in Wales. So God has been historically, even in the past couple of hundred years, known to release great waves, tsunamis of his presence and his power and his spirit. I'm going to tell you something. I get tired of reading about that. Not, not because it's not good and it's not holy, but it's like being on a 40-day fast and somebody continuously walking by you with pizza. You're, 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 you're like, ah, uh, ah, uh, and, and it just seems to have been out of reach. And when I read about these revivals and I read about the power of God and I read about mass salvations happening and cultures changing and regions being touched by the Lord, when I read that, I come to this place again and again and again. I say in my heart, God's not changed. And if it happened then, it can happen again, but it's not going to happen again until we become like the people then who were hungry and couldn't be satisfied with anything less than the outpouring of heaven in our area. And so I'm asking God for a remix, and I'm taking the psalms, uh, the psalmist words in this psalm, in Psalm 126, and I'm hoping maybe just a handful of us, or maybe all of us, will grow in our desire and refuse refuse to believe that it's not going to happen, to refuse to believe that God would tease us, to refuse to believe that what he's done historically in the Bible and he's done in history that he's never doing again, I refuse to believe that. I refuse to believe that we're locked in to a system of religion that, that gives God verbal glory but expects nothing from his hand. That we talk about his presence, but we're fine without experiencing his power. I don't want to be entrenched in any kind of system of belief where God is theoretically good and powerful and present, but in all actuality, when he doesn't show up for another week, we just say, hmm, I can't do that. And I'm hoping you can't do that either. And so let's walk through the psalmist's testimony and see what he had to say about these kinds of things. First of all, in the first three verses, go back up to verses one, two, and three, and the psalmist is declaring to God, we remember your mighty power. He is gonna get historical with us, and he's gonna tell us about a time when he says to God, your intervention on our behalf was incredible. In verse number one, he says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion or Jerusalem, Israel, we were like those who dream. Now, let me give you this. We're not told when, uh, what event this was describing. Maybe it was them coming back from captivity. 
Maybe it was during the time of the judges when they were oppressed by other surrounding people groups coming against Israel as God used other people to discipline Israel because of their disobedience. We don't know if it was one of the mega uh, seasons in their life where they were in big trouble or if it was more one of those minor seasons that, that God allowed to happen. All we know is that he's testifying, he's saying, God, we remember when as a people, Israel, we, we, we had lost our fortunes with you. Our glory was diminished. Your presence wasn't the normative reality. We had our religion, we had our prayers, we had our external things, Lord, but, but we were in fact lost apart from your glory. But Lord, you came and you restored the fortunes of Zion. And Lord, when that happened, it was like a dream to us. The Hebrew language in that verse is very picturesque. And it, it is literally the, the psalmist writing down, Lord, I remember that time you restored us back to yourself and everything that came with it. And it was like a dream to us. It blew our minds. So I want you to follow this. He's thinking of a time where Israel had lost the presence of God and then Israel had restored, been restored to the presence of God. But now he's writing of a time where they've lost it again. That's why he's about to ask later, restore it again. He's saying, Lord, we've been here before with you. We've been in the dry times. We've been in the times where our hearts were, were not filled. We, we, we know what it's like historically, Lord, as a people to have lost your presence and lost your power. But we also remember, God, we remember when you restored us back to yourself. And it, it blew our minds. It was like a dream. And so he's remembering both the cycles of Israel's failures and the cycle of God's faithfulness. Go into verse number two. He's going to describe what it was like during that time when they had been previously restored because their experiences were uncontainable. They actually gave expression to what was now going on in their hearts during a restoration time. He said, then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. I want y'all to hear me this Sunday morning crowd. Shouts, laughter, joy. Shouts, laughter, joy. Shouts, laughter, joy. It was uncontainable. The psalmist says our mouths were, were filled with it. Why? Because they had re been reestablished in connection with the God that they had missed, that they had left, that they had through their independent ways, their rebellious ways. They had cut off fellowship. But when God in his grace came to them and he reconnected what they had disconnected, that's grace, by the way. Uh, the testimony of the psalmist was uh, anything but a nice, stoic, staid, dignified reaction. Whoever, you know, whoever told us that true spirituality is best displayed with some kind of stoic, unemotional response to the presence of God, they were just wrong. They, 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 they probably were, uh, they, they were probably, thank you, they were probably sincere, but, but they were wrong. I mean, did anybody besides me grow up in a setting, a religious setting at a church where, like, don't make a noise or you might wake God up kind of thing? Anybody? Really, just six of us? Y'all, man, we're, okay, nine of us now. So not, not too many either want to acknowledge it. We're not, we're not poking fun. It's just the reality. It, it was like, you know, you always had the lady up you in front of you. I'm a 10-year-old boy. I'm unsaved. 
I'm in my flesh. I'm 10 years old. He's been preaching 20 minutes, which is about 20 minutes longer than I wanted to hear. And, and so I'm restless. I'm doing anything. And it's always that lady, like in the pew in front of me. She's like, mm. Ah, the devil's here. Oh, you know, it was just that kind of, that, those were some of my experiences. And, and then, you know, I got reborn and I, I ended up at Meadow Baptist Church and Meadow Baptist Church was a shouting, stand on the pew, run the aisles kind of church. Some of y'all think all the Baptist churches are stoic and starchy and dead. You are wrong. Some of them are just like flames. I mean, just like that. And so I started realizing, um, hey, this is kind of cool. You know, we're actually allowed to be happy in church. We're actually allowed to celebrate and to have joy and to do all these things. Well, if, there's, if there should be a joyful, happy people on planet Earth, it ought to be those of us whose sins are purged. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We're shepherded by an eternal king who can't be defeated, who's pledged his love to us. He, he's coming to rule and reign on the planet, and he says we're co-heirs with him. We get joint heirs. And so we're eternally kept, and we are his forever, and we're going to rule and reign, and we're just, we're loved by him. And that's worthy of more than just a amen. I just, you know, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think every expression of, motion, of emotion is necessarily holy, but man, I'm skeptical about a faith that, that never, that never kind of pops out. You know, it's like that corked champagne bottle. Uh, I gave that illustration a couple of weeks ago and was surprised nobody sent me a letter about talking about champagne in the pulpit, but when you shake up a champagne bottle, the last thing you want to do is leave the cork in it, and we got a lot of corked up people in churches, man. God just wants to say, pop! And just let it out. The joy, the power. The psalmist said, our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with shouts of joy. Don't get over your redemption. Don't get over the fact that he went so hard and heavy after you. And but let me just remind us, we never would have come to him had he not come after us. We never would have. And because he came after us and loved us, our response was to love him back. The, the psalmist goes on to say in verse 2, not only was our experience uncontainable, but he says to God, your favor was undeniable. The nations, the surrounding pagan unsaved nations said, Yahweh has done great things for them. You see, something happens when we step back into that place of blessing and favor and presence. Everybody we work with starts noticing, oh, she's, she's different. What, what got a hold of her? She get a boyfriend, she get a new man, she get a raise, she get a new car. What's up with her because she's different? It's the same thing with, with the guys, you know, all of a sudden you're not hanging around your friends doing what you used to do and they, they want to know there's something on him, something going on. And it's this, this transformation whose inception is on the inside in the unseen soul, spirit. That's where the Lord just comes and inhabit, inhabits but how many of you know that when he's at home, his fragrance is going to come out? 
And so the nations around Israel could see the favor of Israel's one God, Yahweh. They, all the surrounding nations had tons of gods for every little thing. In Israel is what we call monotheistic. They had one God. And when Israel started getting blessed again by God, the surrounding nations said, the Lord, that's the, the proper name, Yahweh has done great things for them. Um, it's an awesome thing when those that are in your life start seeing God on you. And I don't mean that crassly. I'm just saying, if we're in him, people ought to see him on us. And it doesn't matter. It's easy to do here, by the way. I love Sundays, man. I like coming, gathering with the saints whenever I can. I mean, I love being with the people of God, whether it's here in the prayer room, whether it's Sundays or midweek, Friday nights, it doesn't matter to me. I just love God's people. And, and I love to see the Lord just be on people and it changes their countenance. It changes the sounds that come out of their mouth. Praise is not regimented. Praise is as unique as, as the person giving the praise is. And I, I just like, watching some people will praise God and they'll cry they got their hands up there they're crying they're, they're not they're not screaming they're not doing anything other people are like the you know the Tasmanian devil just ah, you know they're just out there wound up and turned loose I love that but the reality is is that it's not just here the, the, where that that fragrance needs to come off us the most robustly is when we're actually among unbelievers when we're not with each other. Now listen, don't, don't tone it down here so you can turn it up there. You know, it's not an either or, it's an and both. But at work, at school, in the marketplace, in the homes. Now listen, that's where I, I yesterday, I, I'm just gonna confess, my wife could say amen if she wanted to, but she won't. Yesterday, I just got hit by something. It wasn't the Lord. It just got me right around lunchtime. Just something just hit me. And I, I'm like this all day. I'm like, what's on me, man? This is not Jesus. What is going on? And just trying to get my mind right, trying to get my heart right and distracted. And just, and, and I'll tell you, I went to bed and I never got it. I never, I never won yesterday. But I woke up this morning. I said, Lord, yesterday I had some spiritual stink on me. I don't know what that was, but not today, Lord, not today. And so to, to be in other people's presence, with his fragrance coming off, actually alerts them to the goodness of God. The pagan nations were saying, we need to find out about this God, Yahweh, of, of the Jews, because he's good to his people. And previously, Israel had not been experiencing that because they were not in that place of revival, restoration, and blessing. They were being chastised, but now God was reversing. So they said this in verse number three their gratitude became irrepressible. It says, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. I just like that. The, the, the nations were saying, Yahweh's done great things for, for his people. And Israel says, yeah, he has. Yeah, we're really, really glad. Um, gratitude for me is the barometer. Joy and gratitude are kind of like the two needles on the barometer that show me what, what my spiritual pressure is, where I'm at. Um, for me, gratitude has to be the constant position of my heart. If God's worked on anything in me privately in the last 12 months, it's, it's been um, not just being satisfied with having a grateful heart, but always using grateful words. And so I had to retire from my inner complainer my inner murmurer. And, and I know none of you ever struggle with that, so just have mercy on me for a minute. I'm sure none of you struggle with a complaining spirit, but theoretically, if you happen to, maybe, maybe join me in this. Why? Because we have it so good. Yeah, we do. 
No, I, I, I know that you know it, but I want you to think about this. And I'm going to paint it in very clear-cut, type A, choleric kind of language here. You were a hell-deserving, hell-bound sinner by nature and by choice. Three amens. So three of us were hell-bound, hell-deserving, and the rest of y'all just confused. We were, friends. We, we were so deserving of remaining under the wrath of God. But God in his mercy, in his grace, by his own sovereign desire, came after us in our indifference or our rebellion. You were either saved out of indifference towards God or rebellion towards God. You get saved as a little kid. It's not that you had all these years to be a rebel. You're still a sinner, but, but you were indifferent. You just didn't know. You were ignorant. And then those of us that persisted in our sin, we were rebellious. We literally, and I, I hope you understand that the spirit that was in us was the spirit of giving God Almighty, the holy God of creation, of giving him the finger every day of our lives. That's how we lived. That's basically the posture of our heart saying, you're not going to rule over me. And he would have been just and, and holy to just zap us into oblivion without him. But he didn't. He came after us in mercy and grace and love, compassion, patience, gentleness, goodness, and kindness. He came hard after us. Those footsteps you were hearing, you're thinking, oh no, here comes God to get me. No, it was, oh no, here comes God to grace me, to set us free. And then he saved you and he washed you in the blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that Jesus gave on the cross became the substitutional payment for your sins. And when your sins were paid for, God says, you're no longer a child of the enemy a child of the devil, a child of darkness. You're no longer that. You're my child. I'm going to have you sit at my table with me. I'm Abba. You're my child. Come and sit at the family table for all of eternity. Come and feast. Come and dine. Eat meat. You don't have to pay for it. Drink milk. It comes with no price. Come unto me. I love you, and I want you to be mine forever. So we're blessed, but the blessing didn't stop then because even after we ate at his table, we occasionally stumble, fall, do things that are out of character for a Christian, sin in ways that uh, we can say things, think things, or do things, and then later we're like, who was that? That's not me. I'm a child of the Father. I'm a child of the King. And, and God in his mercy did not drive us into oblivion then, but with patience, with patience, the potter still works on your clay. In molding you and making you and shaping you into the image of Jesus. You see, the Lord's done great things for you. He put his spirit in you. He endowed you with gifts that you get to use for his glory and for your joy. I mean, using the gifts God's given you is a joyful thing. Um, when we get to heaven, we're going to have our eyes opened, and you'll know then how many times he rescued you from the attacks of the enemy. Listen, I just take it by faith that the devil hates me and is trying to kill me every day. And I cannot wait to get to heaven and, and the Lord will put it in 4K Ultra on heaven's big screen. And he'll say, Jeff, watch what I did here. Watch it. Here comes the devil over here. Watch what I did. Boom, Gabriel does a shot block on, on one of the, the demons. However it works. I don't know how it works, but the reality is this. The, the, the truth is, is he's constantly working on your behalf. He, he wasn't, he, it's not that he was good to you. It's that he is good to you. 
So we've got to press in and we've got to retain that at the forefront of our thinking. And we can say, yeah, he, he's been good to me. And then the psalmist just says, and I'm glad about it. He had a gladdened heart, a happy heart, a heart that was more willing to praise God for the good than to crumble and mumble and complain about life treating him badly. And on the back end of this, it all became crystal clear when they were brought out of that desert, brought off of that plateau, brought back from the shadows and into the place of God's presence. And they said, yeah, he's so good to us. When, when we're convinced of God's goodness, we'll be less prone to wander. The, the reason why we wander is we think there's something out there on the periphery that we're missing out on. And how many of you, just don't, don't raise your hand, but how many of you know what it's like to go out on the periphery, sample something that wasn't there at the core with Christ, only to say, oh, man, that's just not me. That's not him. That's not me. That doesn't need to be a part of my life anymore. So the first three verses are basically telling us, Lord, we remember what you did. Uh, up to that point, it's just, you know, praise for what God once, done, uh, once did, but, but the psalmist is not done yet. Verse number four, he's bringing it into the present. He's looking back and saying, look what God did. And he's going to bring it into the present with this need for a renewed touch. And I'm going to tell you, everybody that can hear my voice, you need a renewed touch of God on your life. I do too. Say, so I don't know about that, Jeff. I'm, 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 I'm scaling the mountain, bro. Um, I'm just going to tell you, if you think you don't need a re renewed touch, you're not near as far up that mountain as you think you are. Because the farther you go up the mountain, man, the more of heaven's air you breathe, and the more of that you breathe, the more you recognize, oh, I need him. I need him, I need him. The closer you get, the more aware you become of your desperate need for, for more of him, if I can say it that way. So in verse number four, you listen to the hunger and the request. So remember, he said, when you restored, past tense, the fortune of Israel, here, here he's saying, so restore our fortunes. He's saying what we sang earlier, do it again. Do it again. And he's, he's calling out on heaven for a remix of what was done in previous generations, but he's saying, it's not really a do-over, Lord. We, we actually want something fresh in our generation. You restored our fortunes back then, but restore our fortunes now. Lord, bring us back to that, that God-kissed way of life, the kiss of God on their lives. I don't know how comfortable you'll be with this, but I don't want to just stand next to God. I... I don't want to just hold God's hand. I want my Abba Father to lean down and just give me a kiss every single day. That may be a little too icky for some of you, but I'm telling you something. I want the kisses of heaven, the kisses of God on my life. I, I, I'm going to hold his hand because I need that for stabilizing. I want him near me because I need that for, for reassurance. But I want the kiss because I love to be loved by him. There's no greater love. And I want to encourage some of you. It's hard for men. Men are like, mm, you got a different metaphor. Let's just stick with the God kiss thing because it may be the exact thing you need. It may be your, your masculinity, your toughness, your, your you know, yeah, God, you, you cover your territory. I'll cover mine. We'll work as a team. Sometimes, listen, my kids are too old now. Alicia's not, but Landon. I, I used to love to kiss on my little boy. It's just, you know, all sorts of little kisses and everything. He's 13 and about two inches taller than me now. I'm, I'm probably not going to go up to him. 
His mama can. And I give my daughter kisses, but there comes a time where we, we, we almost relationally outgrow some of that. And I don't, I don't want to outgrow that with the Lord. I, I'm hungry. Listen, are you listening to your hunger, your spiritual hunger? What is your heart crying out for? Because what happens is our hungers get lost in all of the normal noise of day-to-day life because you've got to do these nine things every single day and you've got to carve out, you know, as often as you can, a little bit of time with God. But even that can, can end up not being God-kissed. It becomes routine. It becomes, it becomes religious. That, that, man, thank God if anybody's looking, they saw me do my quiet time. You can enter into that, and that's, that's not what God has for us. But our hungers are the things that come alive in us when we're in quietness, we're in stillness, and we are alone so we can hear the Lord. You have to make times for that, or the truest hungers for, from your heart will get drowned out by all the rest of the noise that is in your life. And when, when we're getting quiet in these days, I'm going to tell you, there's a hunger for his presence. It's happening everywhere. It's a hunger for his presence. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't even gotten far enough down into that hunger to where I'm, I'm asking him to do anything. I don't even have a list of five things I'm asking God to do. I'm just saying more of you, more of a sense of your nearness, more of a, a, a boiling pot kind of heart where you're moving within God. Less of me, less of everything else, Lord. If we must, let us decrease so that you can increase. But I don't want that hunger to get drowned out by church attendance, by religious stuff, by, by duties and assignments and, and ministry and expectations and commitments and all the stuff that comprises life. I want, to, I want to live at his feet, and I want the hungers, because here's the thing. When you're still and quiet and abiding in him, the hungers of your heart have actually come from him. And so those hungers are not just you being you. When you are abiding in Christ, what your heart is desiring spiritually is something that the Lord's stirring up in you. And for them, it was, Lord... We want to see in our generation what we've heard that you did, you did in other generations. So, Lord, when you restored back then, it was like a dream, and it brought joy and laughter and breakout. And, Lord, but we've lost it since then, and so we're asking you to restore it in our day. Do a... Uh, questions from the pulpit are really kind of senseless because there's no real authentic dialogues, and so it's almost always a setup, but... Don't, matter of fact, don't answer this out loud. But do, do we really want revival? Do we, re, do we really want it? And when we're talking about revival, do, do we know what that means? I, I'm, I'm not sure we even really know what it means. We can only go off of what we see in the Bible, what we've heard about, the flickers of it that we've caught maybe in our years with the Lord. I'll, I'll just tell you this. I've never personally been in the midst of a sustained revival. Not personally. I haven't. I've been saved 25 years, and I've never been in the midst of a sustained revival where week after week and month after month that the presence of the Lord has, is so thick and, and a present, if I can say it that way, that it's transforming the people that step into it. 
Um, the awakenings which happened at the House of Prayer several years ago are still talked about, but the people that went through those awakenings are saying, yeah, that was then. We're, we're, we're just saying, now, Lord, what are you doing? And so when we're calling out for a revival, it's not good Sundays. You know, that's like stepping in the ocean, putting a thimble in and saying, oh, I've got the ocean here. That's not what we're talking about. Good Sundays will happen. We're talking about heart transformation, family transformation, personality transformation, community transformation, cultural transformation. We're talking about things going from nice, neat, tidy, and manageable to people saying, what are we going to do now? Because the Lord, when the Lord moves in, he's, he's not a 21st century Bible Belt evangelical. That's not who God is. And so it carries with it an unknown that, yes, while we shout for it, we also need to be sobered by it. Because what we're asking God to do is to come and be God, fully God, and do what he wants to do. And I guarantee it's not going to look like what I think it's going to look like. And I would say the same thing for you, but I still want it. I still want to be restored to the fortunes of a God-kissed way of life. By the way, the hope for the request is just very clearly, just to make sure we all know. He's saying, restore our fortunes, O Lord. He knows that the only hope for this kind of restoration, this kind of breakthrough, this kind of revival has to be the Lord. Church can't do it. Can't, by the way, church can never satisfy you. If you're, if you're showing up, let me, let me pastor the entire flock for a minute. If you're showing up on Sundays and you're hoping to have it the way that makes you feel good and when it doesn't happen the way that makes you feel good, you just leave in a huff, it's because you've narrowed your Christianity down to church, to a church gathering. No wonder you're dissatisfied. And so the, the beauty is, is if you're experiencing God all week long in different ways, you come to church, and if it doesn't go the way that you wanted it to go, if you didn't like the music, didn't like the sermon, nobody smiled at you, nobody called your name, nobody prayed over you, and stuff like that, your whole Christianity doesn't fall apart. Because all week long, you've been meeting with the Messiah. You've been in the presence of God. And, and so you just say, oh, maybe next Sunday. We'll get back there. And I love those people down at Newbridge. They're awesome. They're flawed like I'm flawed. But you know what? It doesn't have to be the way I want to do it. And, and, and so church, it, it has to be the Lord. R religious routines don't do it. The most spiritual thing that your own strength can generate falls woefully short of what your soul is actually desiring. And so the psalmist is just speaking on our behalf. He's saying, Lord, we're convinced that it can't come from anywhere else. There, there, we can't generate it. The lights, the camera, the mood music, no, it just doesn't, that's not what what we're looking for we're waiting but we're not waiting like this we're, we're waiting and abiding and expectation and while we're waiting we're fasting we're praying we're pressing in we're repenting because personal holiness is attached to corporate revival that that's a word for all of us that, that if, if we're expecting revival to break out in our lives, but we're living a, a, a double life or we're harboring secret sins or we're in and out of it and we're just, you know, we're, we're, we're being mercenary with the grace of God and using it for our own benefit so we can feel great about the sins we refuse to repent of, that's going to hold up revival, at least personal revival, and it may hold up corporate revival. That's a strong word. Listen, I mean, it's a, we're in this thing together. We are the body of Christ. 
And, and, if, and, and if the leg is broken, the whole body is going to have to adjust. And if there is uh, enough people in a spiritual family that are, are, are not walking in holiness, well, revival will tarry. But it doesn't have to be that way. But ultimately, it comes back to that place where we say, the hope of our request is in you, O Lord. And look at the desperation. I only got three verses left, two and a half, so we're getting there. The desperation, he's saying, Lord, restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. Since most of us would not know that area, it's, it's an arid, very dry region. And it's typically highly desolate, especially in the time of the psalmist. But what would happen is when the spring rains came, this dry area would suddenly be filled and it would be flooding. And as the psalmist is saying, Lord, we're kind of in this desert right now. We're in a dry season right now. Lord, there just isn't a whole lot of bounty and blossom and blooming. Lord, we're not even seeing the buds right now. Lord, it's just dry. But Lord... I'm asking you to move in such a way that everything is turned, Lord, kind of like what happens in the spring to the Negev, kind of like the, the, the waters that move in so swiftly and so fully and the dry place becomes a, a, a pool or a river of water. Lord, do it like that. And so he's looking around and he's saying, I see it in the natural world. I see the droughts. I see the famine. I see the dryness, I see the barrenness, and Lord, I don't want my soul to be like that. And so, Lord, what you do for the desert, do for, do for me, do for Israel. Send your restoring of our fortunes. And he's not talking about money. That's not the primary thrust of what's being said here. He's, saying, he's talking about presence the presence of God, the favor of God, that sense of God's abiding kavod, the, the glory resting on a group of people. And he's saying, Lord, send it. And so the last two verses are gonna bring it home. When this remix, when, when I'm praying for God to take the core of what he's done in the past, the core is always the gospel, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Any revival that's detached from the gospel is a fabricated man-made revival and it'll die. But a gospel that is rooted in the person, the work of Jesus Christ and all that comes off that central hub of who we are as a people, when, when that begins to move, we envision a lasting breakthrough. I, I want that core to remain the same, but I really don't want just what John and Charles Wesley had because it's a totally different time, a different culture, a different reality. I, I don't really just want what, what um, Finney or Evan Roberts or, or, or Charles Finney or William Seymour or any of them, I, that was good for them. At the core of it was the gospel. I want the core of it, but Lord, remix it for, for 2019. Remix it for Newbridge IHOP, IHOP Newbridge. Remix it for me. I'm alive, Lord. I, Lord, I want it for myself. I want it for my house. I want it for my kids. I, Lord, start it now so when my grandkids, my future grandkids are born, that they're born into that atmosphere. Lord, let us plow the land and plant the seed of prayer so that the harvest of revival will come through. And that's what he's about to say. 
So we will not ignore our hunger pains. Look at the beginning of verse number five. He's going to go agricultural on us here. He uses, he's, he's seen the desert and he's thinking ground. He's thinking, okay, the, the, the harvest season. Yeah, those who sow in tears. What is he talking about? He, he's talking about, again, these hunger pains. Now, the picture is this, that it's been so dry and so barren and so arid for so long that they not only don't have a harvest, they barely have enough seed left from previous harvests. And so when now it's planting season, the seed is precious. It just means they're not tossing out handfuls of seed arbitrarily because they've got tons of it. It's more of a picture of of walking up and down the furrows and and putting it in one by one. Ah, it cost you to drop a seed in there. God bless it, let it bloom into something. And then again, and then again, and they're working these long rows with just a handful of seed. And as they're doing it, they're knowing that they're absolutely powerless to bring that harvest. And so every seed costs them something. And the picture is sowing that seed in tears. Oh God, we can't fix this. We can't change this. Oh God, I'm powerless to create a harvest on my own. Oh God, what will my children do if you don't come through? What will my grandchildren do if you don't come through? God, we're going to die as a people if you don't come through. And the image is that of an agricultural harvest that has been coming after our planting, that has been coming after years of barrenness, and every seed is precious. And so every seed released requires something of them. And it hurts because as soon as they plant it in the ground, now they're 100% dependent on God. He's the only one that can make it happen. It says that those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. You see, we will not ignore our hunger pains, and because of that, we're not going to diminish the possibilities. Look what he's saying. He's speaking into the future. This hasn't happened yet, so he's saying, Yeah, we may have to sow in tears, but the ones who sow in tears are the same ones that months later, they reap with shouts of joy. That one little seed, that one little seed in that one area, boom, it it, it becomes something. And when, when it grows up, whether it's corn or wheat or whatever it might be, when it comes up, it's got tons of seed in it. So one little weeping seed release becomes a field of harvest. And so the pain becomes their profit. The, the, the sowing turns into a harvest that they reap. And if you and I will get so hungry for the harvest, we don't have any problems releasing the weeping seed. You know, there's a season for fasting. There's a season for weeping. There's a season for travailing. There's a season for for intense sanctification where God calls you out of things that six months ago you weren't even convicted about and it may not be by the book sin but he's just saying yeah it's a dead weight it's holding you back I'm gonna call you forth out of this thing and he's requiring of you that's you putting your seed in it's you taking ownership of your heart it's you taking ownership of your spiritual life it's you saying, God, I'm going to do my part, and it's basically planting a seed of faith. But, Lord, I'm going to trust that you're going to honor this thing that I'm doing through tears, and I'm going to trust you that on the back end of it, there's going to be enough coming back on me that it's not only going to take care of me, it's going to take care of so many others. You see, I, I want revival for me, but I'm going to tell you again. I don't know why the Lord keeps leading me back to this. It is not about our Sunday services. Some of you need deliverance 
from thinking that God is only as good as what happened on Sunday. And I'm going to tell you, when revival hits, people will be waking up saying, is it Sunday? We've been worshiping all week. What is today Sunday? Oh, well, let's, let's go down there. Why? Because Saturday's as good as Sunday. And so is Monday through Friday. Now, I'm not telling you quit coming to church. What I'm telling you is it, the, the reality is, is that we, we need to think way outside of the little Bible Belt box. Worship team, y'all come on up, and I'll finish, please. So we'll be faithful to our portion. So he, he turns it from theory, and then he's making it individualized. He says, he, earlier he had said, those who go out. Now he's saying he's, he's making it about the individual, so I'm going to make it about you. If you'll go out, if you'll go out and plant the seed that God's requiring you to plant, the seed of hope, the seed of prayer, the seed of faith, the seed of self-denial, the, the seed of expectation, the, the gospel seeds, the fruitful seeds of love and joy and peace and goodness and meekness and mercy and patience and kindness and all of those. If you'll go out and just start planting the seed, yes, it costs, it costs you. It calls you to release something before you receive something. You, you're going to release, excuse me, you're going to receive in proportion to, to that which you release. So if you're casual about releasing, expect to be humdrum and receiving. But if you are intense about releasing, Lord, I'm believing you. I'm trusting you. You're a greater God than anybody I know has ever experienced. You're a greater God than what I can fathom, even from my study of Scripture. You're greater than even the words of the Bible contain. Y'all need to realize that. The book says that if all the works written about Jesus had been written down, that the world couldn't contain the books, that there's stuff about God we don't even know that none of us have experienced. And I don't think he's up there playing peekaboo. He, he wants us to know him. But we're only going to know him to the level of our want to. So it's time for us to release. I want revival. I want a remix. I want God to move in this house. I want God to move in your heart. God to move in your family. God to restore what the enemy stole. The enemy stole something during the famine. The enemy stole something during the broken. You know what I'm talking about, Susan. The enemy steals. And when revival comes, God says, that's mine. I'll be taking that back. And he restores your fortunes. Stand to your feet this morning. Talked with a man this morning, first service. He's so excited. He's just been recently delivered from long, long alcoholism radically saved radically delivered he just came and got me he's like it's like God's texting me I'm every I'm hearing God God's speaking to me I don't I don't know what to do it's like he's texting me he was so excited and I just stepped back and I was like that whatever that is I want more of that awe mind blown not used to it He's not used to God yet. Maybe the biggest indictment on the church is we've gotten used to God. I can tell you, when he shows up, we'll realize, oh, that's not the God I got used to. I've been getting used to something that isn't God and calling it God. This is God. Don't you want that? I want it for our city, by the way. I want it for our city. 
I want there to be a fragrance coming off of this property, a, a vibe. I don't have a Bible word for it. I want something to be coming off this property that when people drive by, they're like, ooh, whoa. That, that the ones driving on our streets and, and maybe even those that are distanced from the church and when they drive by, they're just like, something's going on there. I'm, I'm gonna pop in there for curiosity's sake. I want it in my neighborhood. I want it on my family. I want it at your schools, young people. At work, when they walk by your cubicle or wherever it is that you work, they're like, whoa, what is going on with her? What's going on with him? I believe that can happen. But we got to plant the seed if we're going to reap the harvest. So this morning, I'm going to invite anybody that wants to. You just come. You just come and let's cry out to God together. If you're here today without Jesus Christ, I want you to come and stand right at the bottom of the stair so I'll be able to differentiate between you and the rest of the people that are going to come. But if you're here today and you've never surrendered to Jesus, you come. You, you, you let that seed be planted in you. He plants the first seed and he'll plant it in your heart and it'll grow up into a harvest of life. Father, now... God, thank you. We have hope, Lord. We have faith. We believe you. You are our only hope. Our programs will never do it. Our planning will never do it. Our giftedness will never do it. But you will do it, Lord. You will do what is in your heart to do. And we believe, Father, that you want to release an awakening, a Holy Spirit anointed revival. Lord, with healings, with salvations, with repentance, to change our families, to change our community, to change our city, to change our schools. But God, we can't do it without you. You have to do it, Lord. We say yes, Lord. Begin today in Jesus' name.